Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program again this week and thank you for taking time out of your schedule to join us every week at the same time. And uh, I encourage you that if you are enjoying this and you uh, are watching regular, please let us know. We, uh, you know, go, go to uh, our website and, and send us an email or something at info at Even if you can't give, we are uh, trying to decide which networks to uh, respond to the most if we have to, uh, you know, decide which networks we want to stay with as we come to the time when our contracts are due. And it helps us to know where you're watching from. And if you would just take a moment to say, hey, we're watching, we love what you're doing, encourage us, even if we, uh, you don't send an offering, we, we appreciate it if you can. But once again, if you follow our ministry, you will see that we do not inundate you with a lot of constant contact. We probably only send out maybe two or three a year uh, for constant contact, and we just believe God is able to move on people to help us to do that. But it does help us and encourage us to know that you're watching. It has been so encouraging to me as I've traveled in the last several months to meet people who are watching that we don't know watching. Sometimes, you know, I went through a season there probably a year or so ago where I didn't think I was really being effective, wondering are we, re- you know, what are we really doing? Because a lot of times people will watch you and watch you and watch you and never call, never write, never even say anything to encourage uh, you. Sometimes I know you may think this to be crazy, but we air, uh, you know, to somewhere near 140 million homes just on one network and we're on two networks. We air five times a week. And sometimes you would think, uh, well, you're probably going to have hundreds of calls. You might get five or six calls is all you get, and you might receive a few letters. And sometimes when you receive the letters, they are always from the people who want to straighten you out or don't like you. The people, it's amazing to me that the people who don't like you have a hair trigger on their writing finger, and the people who love you take a long time to tell you. But uh, it is encouraging to us to know where you're watching from and uh, what, how we're blessing you, and that helps us make decisions on which directions we need to go. I feel like we're a pr- pretty unique market in that we're a little different in some of the things that we're sharing. Uh, we are not trying to be in opposition to anyone else. We just believe that God can speak through different vessels in different ways. And I think that's kind of the thing, even as I'm sharing these things on Nehemiah and Ezra, talking about a roadmap to reformation is sometimes it takes people encouraging one another in the work. Thank God for men like Haggai and Zechariah that encouraged Ezra and Nehemiah and the people in the work that they were putting their hands to. We've been talking about the gates of Nehemiah. The series that we are in is from Nehemiah and Ezra called Roadmap to Reformation. Today, I want to come and take a look at one of the gates because we've already looked at the valley gate in uh, prior segments. But if you want to turn in your Bible or your device, I I want to go to Nehemiah, the chapter number two, and I want to just kind of set the stage again here. It says, And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes, the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. 
Now I had not been before time sad in his presence, wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was sore afraid, and, he, and said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad, when the city, the place of my father's sepulcher, lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Nehemiah is in Babylonian captivity, and he is the cupbearer to the king. This would be a job that I would not envy. You would think, well, this would be a great job to be the king's cupbearer, that you just bring him wine and whatever he needs. But see, this, this job was a really unthankworthy job, because what they would do is they would bring the king's wine to him, except the cupbearer would stand in front of him and take a drink of the wine first to see if there's any poison in it or if anybody's trying to kill the king. And if the cupbearer don't die, then it must be safe for the king. This would not be a job you would want. But it would also be one that would be hard for the king to release you to go do what you want to do. But he's sat in the king's presence. And, and he's uh, talking, what he's saying is, listen, I am bothered by the condition of the city, the place where my father's sepulchral lieth waste, and the gates are consumed with fire. My motivation in really teaching this series is so, the Holy Spirit is so, I believe, moved on me to teach this series, because I am concerned about the condition of the church. I'm, con I, I, this, you know, as I've already shared, I, I probably, I feel like I almost need to review every time I come on, but when I'm talking about the temple of God being restored and the city of God being restored, in the New Testament, the city of God is the community of faith. It is the bride, the Lamb's wife. The tabernacle of God or the temple of God is the people of God. What do you not know? You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But I, I am looking at because uh, of Babylonian influence, religious confusion, and especially an old covenant mixture. And I've already established in prior segments how that old covenant Jerusalem in Judaism was the picture of Babylon in Revelation 17, 18, and 19, because in her was found the blood of all the martyrs. And Jesus clearly defines who that is in Matthew 23. He said, you testify to the fact that you have garnished the sepulchers of the prophets, but you testify against yourself that you are the children of those who killed the prophets and stoned them that are sent to you. And Jesus said in Matthew 23 that all of the woes he prophesied in Matthew 23 and 24 would come on that generation. He was talking to natural Jerusalem. But the analogy I'm making is that I believe there has to be a reformation and a coming back to real new covenant realities, better covenant understanding because if we do not come, then the city lies desolate, burned with fire. And I am concerned, even as I have traveled in the last couple of years, that there has seemed to be somewhat of a falling away. Now, I, I realize that there are people that are, are fearful of the pandemic and that need to follow proper protocols as far as, you know, uh, not, uh, you know, uh, you know, social distancing, whatever you think all of that means. But even before this pandemic hit, there just seemed to be a lackadaisical attitude as it relates to being faithful to anything, being committed to anything. You know, I come from a generation uh, that's uh, probably a little bit older of a demographic, and I, 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 uh, I get concerned as I look at churches 
and see the condition. I've seen several in the last, especially through this pandemic, I've seen several good churches and ministries close up and fold as a result of people just not caring. And you know, again, I can cut through all of the, uh, you know, uh, doctrinal fat of you know, should you give, should you not give, should you tithe, should you not tithe, are you under uh, the old covenant curse if you tithe or not tithe, and you know, I mean, there's such arguments about it, but see, it really reveals the condition of the heart of people. If they don't want to give, they're going to find any reason at all not to give. But the truth of it is, is that what, here's the bottom line, without any of that, the cut through the fat, what you don't support goes away. And I'm concerned that there's many good grace churches that are going by the wayside because people have gotten this attitude of, well, I don't have to do anything. No, you don't have to. But I believe God is in the business of changing hearts because I believe when grace really hits your heart and you start really seeing the favor you're under, you're going to respond to that favor. And, you know, uh, so he's talking about the condition of the city. I'm, I'm going to say this because I think it's important for me to say, because I want to challenge some, some things. You know, as I travel, for instance, I will, I will say to pastors, and I can say this to pastors where they can't maybe necessarily, and not just to pastors, but to their churches, and they can't necessarily say it to their church because it offends people. But the guest preacher can probably get by with a little bit. But I observe as I travel the country that from, just, just let me give you an example. From my age group, up, even younger than me, from my age group and up, we come to a church gathering, a church dinner, let's say. My generation shows up, we've got fried chicken, mashed potatoes and gravy, a cake, and some tea, at least. When the generation behind me from 40 years and younger shows up, they got a two liter Pepsi and a bag of potato chips. Then they get up from that church dinner and let the older folks take care of cleaning it up, vacuuming, doing the dishes, and they just take two plates home and go on home and don't even think about serving in that capacity. I think sometimes we've done so much for them that they forget how we raise them in the house of God and that it's time to step up and serve in the house of God, not because you have to, but because you believe in what it's done for your families. You know, I, I, I think about my mother who just passed away in August of this year. And thank God that she and my dad got up out of bed on Sundays and Wednesdays and even more than that and took seven children to church. It could not have been easy, but we were committed to do it. I thank God for that today. I thank God that at times I growled and belly ached. I, you know, I think my sister says sometimes when she's preaching, we were drug babies. We were drugged to church on Sunday, drug on Sunday night, drug on Wednesday night. We were drugged to church, but I'm glad we were. Because as I look at the history of my family and my mother, like I said, who just passed away, and we just did her funeral in August, almost all of her children and grandchildren, all but probably two or three, are serving the Lord. That to me is valuable. When I look at the investments that have been made in our youth camps and the serving in our, the people who are serving even in these youth camps are getting older and older and cannot uh, seem to do it as much as they used to. It's time to step up. All I'm saying is I'm challenging you to step up 
to serve in the house of God, not because you have to. You know, see, when you, you hear a grace preacher preach like this, people say, I ah, just talk about works, 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 works. No, no, I'm talking about, I'm talking about, you know what, you're committed to your job. You're committed to your children's education. Uh, you're committed to your marriage. Why not get committed? It's not law or legalism to say, uh, I, I need to be committed to my local church. I need to be committed to the kingdom of God. I need to return to the kingdom priority, which is seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and I need to get on this wall and build something redemptive. Ezra and Nehemiah, you know, they got up on the wall and they, they, they found their families on the wall. The family of so-and-so built this, the family of so-and-so built that. And they, you found your family on the wall and you, you, you start to build something redemptive. And what happens is, as the years go by, you start to look back and say, I'm so thankful. As I look at my own family and look at my son, who's now a pastor, and my, my youngest son, who was the executive producer for this television stuff, and he's a worship leader, and see their families and their children. When I see my grandchildren walk into a service and can't hardly wait to get there because they want to praise and worship God. When I see my two-year-old granddaughter, when I just start singing, I raise a hallelujah, and she throws both hands up and starts to sing it, that to me is building something redemptive and it's valuable. So as I feel like Nehemiah today, as I look at the condition, and I say sometimes my countenance was sad too when I see the condition of what people have done in the house of God, to leave it lie waste. I don't want to lose it. See, once you lose it, it's hard to go back and get it again. I think there's a lot of things that we're not valuing even in our country and in our nation that once you lose it, it's hard to get it back. And uh, I, I believe it's a time of reformation, a time of restoration. You know, even Nehemiah or Haggai, he prophesied. He said, "Return to me, and I'll return unto you." Now, I'm, I don't think God's ever left us. That's an old covenant concept. But I do believe that there are times when we've left Him, and we've walked away from the things that are important. And so, as a result, it's not God judging us, but it's the repercussions of our actions. And the reality of it is, is it leaves us in a waste howling wilderness vulnerable to the enemies. And the reality of it is these walls and gates being restored is what brings us back into the safety of the city of God and the community of faith and people who join together in community to help one another, to pray for one another, to serve one another. See, this city is not about individualism. I think we've gotten so much into individualism, my freedom, my, 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 that we forget about this is not just about me, it's about we, it's about us, it's about a community of faith and about loving others and loving your neighbor. And the reality of it is, is that when you come back and they, and they started to rebuild this, it became a team effort. A city or a building is not made out of one stone for folks that want to disengage. And, and, I, and I get it, we're going to get into, let me, uh, as we get down into this, we're going to talk about the Dungate here in a few minutes. And I understand why people want to disengage from what has been religion. And so uh, I, I, I'm with you, but uh, you know what I'm saying is I understand why people have gotten disenfranchised with a religious system that had no answers for them. But that's why I'm preaching on reformation and restoration. And what it's going to take is folks who've got a mind to work that are going to get behind the things of God and say, all right, 
yeah, there's some stuff that's wrong, but rather than abandon it, we're going to begin to bring change. I think even Martin Luther, when he brought a reformation, he had no desire to split the church. He wanted to reform it. I do not want to lead a rebellion. I want to be part of a reformation. And for that to happen, I believe that we must be willing to change the way we think and to begin to see some change. So here's Nehemiah. And he said, I was sad in the king's... He said, why shouldn't I be in this condition when I see the condition of the city? And, uh, you know, the place of my father's supper lies waste, lies waste, and the gates are consumed with fire. Then the king said unto me, for what do you make requests? I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it please the king, and if thy servant has found favor in your sight, that you would send me into Judah under the city of my father's sepulchre, that I might build it. And the king said unto him, the queen also, sitting by, how long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set a time. I believe it pleases the king today to send us to the work we've been called to. Moreover, I said unto the king, if it please the king, let the letters be given to the governors beyond the river, that they may convey me over till I come into Judah, and a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace, which appertain to the house, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. And then I came to the governors beyond the river, and gave them the king's letter. Now the king had set, sent captains of, of the army and horsemen with me. And when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant of the Ammonite heard it, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. It grieved them that somebody had the best interest of bringing reformation back to the city of God. It grieves the enemy any time you want to arise and build. So I came to Jerusalem, was there three days. And I arose in the night and some few men with me. Now let me just say this to me, the three days, every time I see three days in the scripture, to me, it always speaks to me of death, burial, and resurrection. The three days and three nights of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Something goes off in me that says, he's coming to see the condition of this city. He's there for three days. In other words, he's there to get a revelation. If I can say it like this in terms of what I'm talking about, Reformation, we need a fresh revelation of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We need an understanding of the finished work if we're going to ever rebuild. And he said, I arose in the night, and some few men with me, neither told I any man what God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me save the beast that I rode upon. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well. Now, we already filmed four segments on the valley gate even before the dragon well, and to the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates that were consumed with fire. Then went, I, I went on to the gate of the fountain, and to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Then I went up by night by the brook, and viewed the wall, turned back, and entered in by the gate of the valley, so returned. And the rulers knew not whither I went, or what I did, neither had I told as yet the Jews, nor the priests, nor to the nobles, nor the rulers, nor to the rest, what, what, nor to the rest that did the work. Then said I unto them, You see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. 
And so he says, Arise, let us build, and let's strengthen their hands. And said, then I, then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us arise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. And Tobiah, the servant of the Ammonite, and Geshem, the Arabian, heard it. They laughed us to scorn and despised us, and said, What is this thing that you do? Will you rebel against the king? Then answered I them, and said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. And as you go into chapter 3 of Nehemiah, he starts to talk about the restoration of these 12 gates. I believe these 12 gates correspond to the 12 gates of the city of God in Revelation chapter number 21. Now let me just tell you that he comes in to see the condition of the city. The walls have been burned with fire, but he comes by the gate of the, of the valley. We already spoke to you some concerning the gate of the valley. We talked about the valley of Hinnom. We talked about the place of broken pottery. And so as he starts this journey, he's going counterclockwise. But he even comes to the dragon well. Now, I'm not probably, that's probably all I'm going to get to in this segment is maybe yet the dragon well. But he goes to the dragon well. What legend has is that the dragon well was the place where the head of a dragon was cut off. Now, what I want you to see is that what he has to see, first of all, if he's going to come into Reformation and Restoration, is that this is a picture of the church in the day of Reformation. And one of the things that the church is going to have to get an understanding of is the fact that the devil has been defeated and Jesus has won the victory. Now, I want to go to Colossians, the, the, the uh, second um, chapter, and I want to read something to you. Uh, let's see if I can find it. Let's see here. Uh, let's see. Let's see. yeah. Chapter. Let's go to Colossians the two, uh, chapter two, and verse number fourteen. It says, having canceled and blotted out and wiped away the handwriting of the note bond with its legal decrees and demands, which was in force and stood against us, hostile to us. This note with its regulations, decrees, and demands, he set aside and cleared completely out of our way by nailing it to the cross. God disarmed, this is the Amplified Bible, and God disarmed the principalities and powers that were ranged against us and made a bold display and public example of them in trying over, triumphing over them in Him and in it, the cross. Therefore, let no one set in judgment on you in matters of food and drink or with regard to a feast day or of a new moon, or a Sabbath. Such things are only the shadow of the things that are to come, and they have only a symbolic value. But the, I want you to hear that. They have only a symbolic value. New moons, Sabbaths have a symbolic value. But the reality, the substance, the solid fact of what is foreshadowed, the body of it belongs to Christ. Let no man 
defraud you by acting as an umpire, declaring you unworthy and disqualifying you for the prize, insisting on self-abasement and worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he claims he has seen, vainly puffed up by his sensuous notions and inflated by his unspiritual thought and fleshly conceit, and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body supplied and knit together by means of its joints and ligaments grows with the growth that is from God. If then you have died with Christ to uh, material ways of looking at things and have escaped the world's crude and elemental notions and teachings of externalism, why do you live as you still belong to the world? Why are you to submit to rules and regulations such, such as? Why do you submit to rules and regulations such as do not handle this, do not taste that, do not touch them? Referring to all these things which perish with being used to do this is to follow human precepts and doctrines. Let me just stop because I'm, I'm, I don't have much more time to get to this. The enemy was disarmed by the cross. We're coming to the dragon well in this time of reformation, and where the first thing the church is going to have to do is lose their infatuation with the devil that has already been defeated. If I said to you, uh, what do you believe Satan's devices or weapons are, most people would have all kinds of different opinions. But Jesus says that he disarmed principalities and powers. In other words, he took the weapon of the enemy away from him. Colossians 2 tells you what that weapon is. It is the handwriting of ordinance that is against us. It was the law of carnal commandments and a trying to, uh, uh, to, to uh, you know, do things through human effort. It is it, the spoiling of principalities and powers. In other words, the ruling uh, is, is moving away from touch not, handle not. It's moving away from new moons and Sabbath practices. In other words, they were moving away from the old covenant. The weapon that the enemy forms against most believers is the weapon of condemnation. And he does it through an antiquated law of the handwriting of ordinance that was against us. The handwriting of ordinance was even the Ten Commandments. Paul talks about the administration of death. Colossians, or I'm sorry, Corinthians 3. Paul calls the, the, the handwriting, he talks about uh, the administration of death written on stone. The only part that was written on stone was the commandments. In other words, we are not living by rules. We are living by a relationship. And I think one of the things that's going to have to happen in the roadmap to Reformation is we're going to have to begin to move away from law and move into a new covenant paradigm where we realize that the handwriting of ordinance that was against us, he nailed it to the cross. Because the prophet Isaiah prophesied, he said, no weapon formed against you can prosper. And any tongue that rises up against you in judgment, you will utterly condemn, for your righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. In other words, the weapon of the enemy is condemnation, but no weapon can be formed against you when you realize that your righteousness is of him, and it's not based on your performance, it's based on what Jesus did. He's brought you into perpetual Sabbath, and he's removed the handwriting of the ordinance that is against us. He defeated principalities and powers. The devil's defeated. Jesus is is right now, Lord. The war is over. Jesus has won. We're out of time. Tune in again next week at the same time. 
If you'd like to help support this ministry, it is very easy to simply go to the website and there is a link there where you can donate, give via PayPal or your credit card. And you can also become a monthly partner there if you'd like. You can call the number on the screen. Someone will take your call if you'd like to give through that way. If you don't get an answer, leave a message and someone will return your call if you want a return call. Or you can send check or money order to the address that will come on the screen. We do need your help. God bless you. Thanks for joining us. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.